So if you've got your Bibles, and I pray you do, open those up to the book of Acts. As we continue our series there, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Been walking through that, uh, started that back up 1st of February, a little bit uh, here and there, and then connecting that with our Wednesday night Bible study has just been building me up so much. And, and we've got a great, great uh, story that we're going to read through uh, this morning. And we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 9. I'm just going to read a few there as we get started. It says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Father, thank you for your word this morning. As we open it, I pray that you open our eyes to the wonders of it. We know that it's alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I thank you, Father, that you will use your word today to build us up and to teach us and to train us in the way that we should go. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we met Saul. We met him at the stoning of Stephen back in chapter 8. It says they, all the witnesses, the ones who had to throw their rocks first because they brought out the charges, the false charges against him. So they all laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then in chapter 8, it said Saul was ravaging the church. And that, that word is like an animal tearing meat from a bone. So it's very violent word to use. He's ravaging the church. And he's entering house after house, dragging off men and women. So tearing families apart, we, we meet him in this condition but we, I want to go back just real quick and remember that he grew up just a kid being taught about God. Just a kid being taught about the Lord and taught about the law that God had given to the nation of Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. And he had memorized more of that scripture than we could ever imagine. And he had been more faithful to the practices that it put forth than we could probably ever Match, And he grew up in this. And I want to read just real quick a couple verses in Galatians where he talked about it himself. In Galatians 1 and 13 and 14. He said, for you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So he's learning these things. He's learning these ways. He said, I was extremely zealous for it. And what we know here in the book of Acts is that, that he saw the gathering of the church in the person of Jesus Christ as a threat to that. 
He saw it as a threat to everything that he had been taught. He saw it as a threat to everything that he believed in. There was no room in Saul's heart and mind for Jesus. And in doing the wrong thing, what persecuting the church, he told himself he was doing the right thing and that it was for the best. He was justifying his actions because he had vilified the church. So it was okay that he do whatever he needed to do against them because they were the enemy. All right. And so in chapter nine and verse one, it says he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So the very breath that God had given him, he was using that breath to breathe threats of murder against the church. And so he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and said, there's I've done a lot here. I've been dragging people out here. Everybody who's a follower of Christ, I'm bringing them in so that they can be punished, so that they can be uh, put uh, out of the way as a threat. He said, but people are scattering. They're going everywhere else. And I want to go to these other places where they've run to, where they've run off and hidden. And I want to bring them back so they can face charges in the temple for what they're saying and doing in the name of this man, Jesus. And so he had been given letters to go to Damascus. Now listen, Damascus was 150 miles away. That's a ways, right? That's a ways if you're driving. It's a whole lot farther if you're walking or you're on a donkey or something like that. So he's going with intent and passion. He's going because he's going a great distance to find those who are of the way, chasing them down, hunting them, all the ones maybe who lived there, but also the ones who had escaped from Jerusalem, escaped the persecution and gone to Damascus. He was corrupted by evil and thought he was doing good. And so for many days, because it would have taken him a little, you know, you can't go, but probably about 20, 30 miles a day there, I would think. So for several days and many miles, he's breathing threats against the church. He's keeping himself warm and motivated with his anger against those who are of the way of Jesus Christ. He's walking in anger. I believe walking in some fear. If I don't fix this, bad things could happen. And he's also walking in some pride, believing that he knows what's best. And in verse three and four, it says, as he got close to Damascus, a light from heaven, Suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then we'll go on in verse five. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul said. And the answer came, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. And so he calls him Lord, at least recognizing he's at a disadvantage. Maybe not acknowledging whoever this is as God, but go, hey, there's huge light. Knock me down. This is a big deal. You have the advantage over me. Right. They saying, what? yes, sir. You have me at a disadvantage. He said, who are you, Lord? And then in the latter part of verse five, Jesus responds and says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, if we're thinking in our mind and we don't know the story, you may think, all right. Now it's time for Saul to get his. Jesus has showed up. He's been persecuting the church, dragging them off. He approved of the murder of Stephen, him being stoned outside the city. And so you're thinking, all right, buddy, your comeuppance is here. What goes around has now come 
around. Right? That's what we think of in our mind. You have done wrong. You've done real wrong. And now it's time to face the music. But look at verse 6. Jesus said, I'm Jesus, the one who you're persecuting, but get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. See, grace can be a little bit offensive to us in that because we want judgment for him. We want justice for him. And Christ is showing up saying, you are persecuting me. No, and we'll talk about it in a second. Jesus identifies himself with the church. He said, you're persecuting me. Get up, go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Grace can be offensive in that aspect because when it's others, we want judgment and justice. Now, for us, we're fine with grace. When I've been when I'm in the wrong, when I've done something wrong and I've been confronted with it, we're like, well, obviously, I, I think we should get some just some grace here. It's like the video of the little boys that had marked all over themselves. And the mom was very upset. And he's like, maybe we could just think about what we've done. <laughs> She's like, oh, maybe think you may be thinking about a little bit more than that. But we want judgment and justice. But the gospel, when people repent, they're offered grace, the same grace that we receive. And again, it can be offensive to our hearts until we sit in and go, well, what, what, is, he do? what is he doing? Okay. So he said, I'm Jesus, the one who you're persecuting. But get up, go into the city, and I will tell you what to do. Jesus identifies himself with his church. Remember, he said, as you've done even to the least of these, you've done also to me. So he would say, thank you for loving me today when you've loved one of the least of these. Yeah. And if you've despised one of the least of these, he would say, why are you despising me yeah. today? He identifies himself with his church. He tells Saul, who has been knocked to the ground, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting, but get up and go into the city and I'll tell you what to do. In verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the sound, but seeing no one. And we read, we'll read later in Acts that everybody was knocked to the ground when this light shone everywhere. But they heard talking, but they didn't know who was speaking. And they saw, and maybe they just heard Saul was part of it. And we'll talk about that one when we get there on Wednesday night in Bible study. But they were speechless. Look at verse 8. Saul got up from the ground. And though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. Once he saw the light, he couldn't see anything else. Once he saw the light, he could not see anything else. And look, he was led into the city like a captive. He was led into the city humbled. The same way he was intending to lead Christians out, he was led in, in weakness as a slave to Christ. And ever after that, that heart stayed with him that I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a captive of Christ. Now, he was a glad captive. Amen. He would use the terminology later. He said, thanks be to God who leads us in his triumph. Yes. And now we used to sing it. Thanks be to God leads us in his triumph. You know, it had a little clap there, I think. Got the victory. I learned what triumph meant. 
It's not just a victory parade. When you conquered another city, you would take the prisoners, you would tie them to your chariot, and you would march them through the streets up to the place of power. Whether it was the, the throne or the uh, palace, you would bring them along in that. So when he's saying, he leads us in his trial, we are captives of Christ. We are captive. We were slaves to sin. Sin had us attached to his chair. See, we don't get to just be a slave to nobody. We were slaves to sin and now we're slaves to Christ. I mean, I can't do anything else once he has captured my heart. Once the light has shone into my eyes, I cannot do anything else. Thanks be to God who leads us in his triumph. So when, as he was intending to lead others out, he was led in. And again, there was some humility there and it stayed with him the rest of his days. We'll see more of that as we see more of him. Since he was led into the city by the hand. Verse nine, he was unable to see for three days. Interesting number. And did not eat or drink. And we don't know whether he couldn't eat or drink or he was chose, choosing not to, to fast. But here's what we do know. And here's what it makes clear is that he was praying. He was praying because look, his whole world has been turned upside down. He thought Jesus was a liar. He thought Jesus was the one who was going to destroy the temple. He thought Jesus was the one that was going to blaspheme the law. And here he has appeared to him. And again, once he saw the light, he couldn't see anything else. But he'll tell us in just a minute that he was praying. Praying probably to understand, Lord, what, where have I gone wrong? And how can I go right? Then a very interesting character and situation comes up in verse 10. We meet a man named Ananias. It says, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias, follower of Jesus, he's of the way. And the Lord appears to him in his vision and said, I've got a job for you to do. I've got something that needs doing because there's a man at the street called Straight, the house of Judas. He's from Tarsus and his name is Saul. And he, he's seen in a vision that a man named Ananias is going to come, place his hands on him, and that he'll regain his sight. And Ananias says, Lord, that name sounds familiar. I've heard of this person. He's like, he's the one persecuting the church in Jerusalem. Now, 150 miles, word has gotten around that the church is being persecuted in Jerusalem and Saul's name is attached to it. And again, he was ravaging the church pulling men and women out of their households. He was there when Stephen was stoned. And he knows he's coming with authority from the high priest there to arrest all of us who serve Jesus. All of us who follow the way. We're talking about the same one, right? We're talking about this, Lord, just making sure, because it could be more than one. 
I just want to make sure this is who we're talking about. And look what the Lord says. The Lord said to him, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Yeah. First he tells him, he doesn't... <laughs> He doesn't. He, he says it by saying go. Yeah, it's the same one. Now, now go. Go because I've chosen him and he will and I'll show it to him. Yeah. He's going to have to suffer for my name. And it's not punishment, but it is a little poetic. He was used as an instrument of others suffering for the name of Jesus. And then now he's going to carry the name of Jesus and that's going to cause him some suffering. And we know that when you carry the name of Jesus, it causes you some suffering. It does because there's resistance to the gospel. It just is. It's either repentance or resistance. And when you face the resistance, that involves some suffering. He would say later, if I suffer or am afflicted, it is for your comfort. We'll get to that a different day. He says, I'll show him how much he has to suffer for my name. And Ananias, who should be put in the hall of faith for what he does next. Verse 17, Ananias went. God said, there's a man named Saul from Tarsus. You're going to go pray for him. He's going to regain his sight. And Ananias said, that the one who was coming to kill all of us? You're talking about that one, right? And the Lord said, go, because I'm going to use him. He's going to be my chosen instrument. I'm calling him out of that. And Ananias didn't say another word. He says, Ananias went. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias, again, hero of the faith status, reminds me that if I perish, I perish. The Lord's telling me to go. And so in faith and in trust, he goes and he calls him Brother Saul and he prays over him. And at once, something like scales fall from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So God, the, God knocked him down and he also picked him up. Amen. Aren't you glad that he picks you up when you get knocked down? Even when he has to knock us down to get us out of our pride, out of our anger, and out of our fear. The last thing that he saw, or the last time that he could see, he saw the bright light and he heard the voice of Jesus. The next time that he could see, he opened his eyes and saw Ananias, one of the ones of the way, who was there in the name of Jesus, calling him brother. One of the ones he had murder in his heart for just a little bit ago. Just about four days before, Ananias was the enemy. One of the ones he was breathing threats and murder against. And then now his eyes are open and he sees one there in the name of Jesus. There with boldness and courage because he knew who Saul was. And he called him brother. And I believe that wrecked Saul and he never recovered from it for the rest of his life. That act by Ananias to be obedient to the God of heaven when he said, go to this man, pray over this man, that the scales will fall from his eyes and call him your brother. I don't think he ever recovered from it. Because he didn't receive what he deserved, right? 
He would go on to write, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Jesus He was persecuting became His good and gracious gift. He was confronted on the road. He was converted after He saw the light. He was confirmed when Ananias came to Him and laid His hands on Him. Remember we talked about that last week when the apostles came to Samaria where the gospel was being preached and the Holy Spirit uh, was working and they laid their hands on the Samarians to receive them and confirm that they were a part of the body and not just a separate part of the body, but a part of the body equal with all the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. When Ananias came and prayed over him, it confirmed that the Lord had forgiven the man who had repented when he got knocked to the ground. And he was comforted. He said after taking some food, he regained his strength. And he was commissioned. Commissioned to go and preach the name of the same one that had saved him. And that's the way it works for us. It confronts, this story even confronts how we view others. How we view their future and how we view their hope. Because again, think, of, think about the man that Saul was and the things that he was doing and how he would have been looked at even by those who were of the way. And yet the Lord said, no, I've chosen to call him out of darkness and into light yes. and to use him. It converts us to say, just like he did, I'm not ashamed of this gospel Amen. of Christ. Because it is the power of God unto salvation to save men and women like Saul who would breathe threats and murder. Even again, the, the, nobody seen further than him. Nobody seen further than him. He was literally persecuting the church. But it converts us to say that we're not ashamed of the gospel because there is power in it. It confirms the message that it's true, that it's effective. For all who will receive it. And it comforts us in the fact that God does absolutely and completely save sinners. Of which Paul would tell us later, he was the chief. He's like, y'all think y'all have done stuff. Let me tell you what I did. And look what the Lord has done in my life. He does save sinners. His gospel is powerful. It will lead to salvation to all who would receive him. All that he is and all that I am. And believe on his name. And then it commissions us because if it works, we can carry it out. We can carry it out into all of the earth. Because how can we not if, if, if Saul was converted? How can we not if you were converted? How can we not if you were converted? How can we not if you were converted? How can we not carry it into all of the earth? See, Christianity is... A culture, it is. You know, it's developed into a culture, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's God saving sinners and transforming them into disciples, even persecutors of the faith into preachers of the same faith. And that's a part of it that we can never allow to be minimized because it's the only part that deserves to be maximized. Is that he saves sinners and turns them into disciples. Saul loved the law. He loved the prophets. He loved the traditions. He was zealous for them. His words. He said, I was which means I'll fight for it. 
I will fight for, or I will be torn to pieces in defense of it. I am zealous for it. And then he finally fell in love with the one that they were all pointing to. He finally fell in love with the one that it was all about. The Lord humbled him, but also held him. The Lord will take you when you see people with so much zeal for other things. You're like, when he turns it, it's going to be amazing. When he takes that zeal that you're putting into this, which is going to perish and he turns it, it's going to be awesome. Even when that zeal is turned towards something that is destructive and completely sinful and awful, it's like I'm going to take what you're doing that's awful and I'm going to use it to make the gospel look awesome in the eyes of everyone who will pay attention. He'll take that zeal that you've got for all of these other things and he'll turn it the right way, just like he did with Saul, just like he did with Peter. Peter had a lot of zeal for a lot of weird things. We're not even sure what his his direction was, was. what he thought was going to happen. I guess he thought he was just going to be the the general in God's army, overtaking all the enemies. And his zeal at certain points made him awful. But God took that zeal, turned it the right way, and it made him awesome. It, it, It made God in his life be awesome to all who would look at it. And he commissioned... Saul, look, look what he did next. And this is, where we'll, this is where we'll finish. At the end of verse 19. Or I will just read 19 and then, and then read on through 25. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Saying, he is the son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But the disciples took him by night, lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. So he was converted, dwelt with the disciples. And it says immediately began to preach, immediately began to proclaim in the synagogues that Jesus is Lord. Where did he preach? Right where he was. Right where he was. He started I'm going to start to preach right here in Damascus. Even though it wasn't the best place for him to preach, you would think. They were looking for you to come here and drag everybody off. And now you're here preaching the same name and the one you were about to drag people off for. They're probably going to think it's a trap. Probably going to think you're trying to be undercover and just maybe not doing a good job of it. Like, I wonder if he just thought we wouldn't recognize him. But he began to preach and reach right where he was. And it said all who heard him were astounded. Isn't that, isn't he the one that used to do this? And people will do that with you. Aren't they the one that used to do, do that? Aren't they the one that used to be like that? Aren't they the one that we used to go together and, right? Yeah. I still, to this day, people still go, Stephen's pastoring? 
It's like, I don't really know how to take that. Some of them that have known me, like right now, they're like, you're a pastor? Like, yeah. And they're like, I don't, really? I'm like, what is it? Like, you didn't think I was a Christian? No, I figured you were a Christian. I just didn't peg you for a pastor. I was like, I don't, again, I don't really know how to take that. But you will have things in when Christ starts to work in your life that will confound those that know you. Because they know you and usually knew you before you knew him. And it will confound them. And some of them are like, how, wasn't he? And it takes them a minute. But it says he was astounding them because he was proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He said he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. I am the living proof. And he grew stronger in that. Then, I mean, we won't even hit very long on the irony that then they conspired to kill him. For the name of Jesus that he was preaching. This is some of what Jesus was saying. He's going to have to suffer for my name. He starts preaching the name of Jesus. They're like, I think we're going to have to kill him. He's like, oh man, it does happen just that fast. They're waiting for you at the gate. I used to be waiting at the gate for other people. Man, stuff, how the tables have turned. Y'all got a basket? Amen. Jesus said we'll be hated for his thing. And there may be some suffering, but he also said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Because he's right there with you. Saul, Paul, we'll get to that later on. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And he wrote that while they had him in prison. You know, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Saul, on his way to Damascus, you wouldn't think that there would have been anybody further from embracing Jesus Christ than Saul on his way to Damascus. You wouldn't have thought there would have been anybody, if you, if you were making a ranking of the ones that were likely to believe in Christ, he would have been all the way at the end. He would have been the most unlikely. You would have thought he was the farthest from believing and embracing. And yet he ended up being really close. He ended up being really, really close. So I want to encourage you with that. The people in your life where you just go, they're way out there, Lord. I don't even know. I can't even see them where they are. They're just way out there. The gospel can bring people from way out there. The gospel can bring people from way out there. And we, we, we can go, we could go through this room and have so many people stand up and go, I was, I was way out yonder. I was way out there. And he came and got me. I was way out there and he came and got me. Don't despise what he can do. And don't look at that distance and think it's too big. He said, my arm isn't short that it can't save. My arm isn't short that it can't reach out and grab them up. And so that encourages us because we never know when they're going to go from Saul on the road to Damascus to Saul preaching in the synagogues. Amen. What a beautiful story of redemption and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your work in the life of this man. Thank you for this, the work that you did in the heart and in the mind and the life of Saul that we benefited from. We, we read what his pen wrote, what his mouth 
dictated under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit still today. Lord, I thank you that your arm isn't short, that it can't save. And that as you confronted them, you confront us for the views we have of your gospel that falls short of how powerful it is. Lord, grow our faith. Help our unbelief to see that your arm isn't short, that you can't save, and your ear isn't deaf, that you can't hear the cries coming from the hearts and souls of men and women who need you. We thank you for your grace, and we ask you that we wouldn't be offended by it, just like we could find that in our hearts. When we, when we think about all that Saul had done, if he had done it to our family, if he had hauled off my brother, my sister, how we would have felt towards him. But Lord, your grace transformed his heart. Let us not be offended by your grace when it goes into action because we are recipients of the same. And Lord, I thank you for the comfort that we find in that, the comfort that we find in the power of your gospel and Lord, the commission, because if it's powerful and it can call people from darkness to light, how can we not carry it everywhere that we go? How can we not carry it and live it? Just like he did starting right where we are and to the ends of the earth. I thank you that you give us wisdom in that, that we'd be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, carrying your gospel everywhere that we go and seeing it redeem sinners and transform them into disciples. Lord, I thank you for the comfort that we find in that and for that one that's on our heart and our mind right now who seems so far from embracing you who seems so far from believing in you, who seems so far from experiencing your grace, your truth, your peace, your comfort, and the joy that comes from knowing you. Amen. I thank you, Lord, that we'll see him as closer, as close as you do, and that we'll love in your name. We'll go just like Ananias did in your name and minister. And we thank you. Lord, as we get ready to go, today. We thank you again uh, for all of those who are recovering. Lord, that strength will be returned to them in the name of Jesus. And as we go out together, that we go in unity with our brothers and sisters. Lord, bless us as we go. Keep us safe. Know we're going to have some traveling. Take them safely to their destination. And Lord, as we go through this week, that we would constantly be aware of you, who you are, and what you're doing, both in our life and through our life to touch those around us. And we wouldn't despise small beginnings. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Y'all have a good week. Holler if you need anything.